I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Oh, <laughs> na na na, na na na. Welcome to SyrupCast episode 10. We made it. Just want to say big, big thanks to everybody who's listened over the past 10 weeks or 9. This is a momentous occasion. Thank you for your feedback and compliments and content suggestions. We hope that we're doing it right and please keep them coming. This week, as we get ready for what we refer to as the September onslaught We're going to talk about the next Nexus phone potentially being built by Motorola and what that means for Lenovo's place in the Android ecosystem. And then there's the iPhone 6, which has been confirmed to launch on September 9th, though we don't know how many versions of it there will be. We'll talk about Samsung and LG's new smartwatches, which were announced in unison last night. Rogers and Shaw co-announcing Show Me, a Netflix competitor. And Rogers' new... $240 $240 a month, 30 gigabyte shared data plan. Is that really a good deal? And finally, we'll talk about Cyanogen working with a really cool startup, or what we think is a startup, made up of former HTC, Motorola, and Google execs. As always, I'm joined by Douglas Soltis. Hello, my friend. How are you today? Oi, oi. Uh, 10 episodes. That's uh, 20 hours of podcast. <laughs> Should have been ten, but it's it is double that. You get twice uh, the value for your money with uh, Syrupcast. And Jane McIntaggart, how are you on this lovely Thursday? It is Thursday, yep. right? Yep. Oh man. I'm very well. Good, good, good. So it's almost Labor Day, man. I gotta stop wearing white. Oh, not if you're Obama. You can wear those tan suits forever. <laughs> oh, is that what's happening on Twitter right now? Yeah. So He's saying he looks too casual for the leader of the free world. Is he, though, the leader of the free world? I think Stephen Harper has really been <laughs> that status. He's moving up How the line. How do we just segue into the Slate Political Gab Fest podcast? Well, that's actually who the sponsor is tonight. We yeah. would like to thank our sponsor, Slate. Uh, so David Gregory. Shout out. So we're going to start with the Nexus, because we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks, but now it's pretty much been confirmed that it's going to be a Motorola, a a monster of a Motorola phone. And it's interesting that this is happening right before Google goes through with its sale to Lenovo of Motorola. Uh, So Jane, you are an avid Nexus user, and we've spoken about this a number of times, but do you think that a 5.9-inch Motorola-made Nexus even with the slimmer bezels that Motorola is famous for, is too big? And do you oh, think yeah, it's way too big. All the way? No, it's way too big. I don't think it's going to be that big. I think that's, like, I know that we wrote about it during the week. I think that's, everything else that's for the, the rumored spec sounds kind of plausible, but I think there's no way it's going to be a six-inch phone. Like, that's ridiculous. 
Yeah, so I'm actually, I have a 6-inch phone, or I think this is 6.2 inches, actually. This is, is the, the Ascend? This is the Ascend Mate 2, yeah. and it's quite enormous. It's, yeah, but, that's ridiculous, too. But it's also not as big as I would think it, a 6.2-inch phone would be, considering that it's... That thing is the size of your face. Like, you're holding it up. <laughs> yes, it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty similar to the size of my face. Um... <laughs> That's like 85% of a playbook. That's insane. <laughs> Can we just talk about the fact for a second that the playbook had a 3 megapixel front-facing camera? No. Anybody? <laughs> Douglas did work on the account that had uh, the playbook. Tell Can me I about just... the... Sorry, oh. go ahead. No, this is this is the Segway podcast where we're segwaying into things that hurt my feelings. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, the best-named uh, tablet of all time. So it was. All right, back to Nexus. So the 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 worst named code, the worst code name ever, Shamu, is the. Oh, I don't uh, know. Nexus <laughs> X is pretty bad. They're saying in the comments. I just noticed. I was reading it just now, and they're saying you can't say Nexus X without risking saying Nexus Sex, and it just oh my comes God. out. I just got that too. That's true. So I think we should go back to Shamu. <laughs> I would call it the Nexus Shamu. Uh, <laughs> but why do you think they would call it the Nexus X? Because the Nexus 6 is literally what it is. It's a 6-inch phone. Isn't it a um, trademark thing or copyright or trademark? I don't know. What are those? It would be anything to do with, like, the, the Motorola kind of relationship there? Could be. Um, it is. Tell me right now. Um, there's some some book that where they... There was the original lawsuit. Remember they had, like, a Nexus lawsuit? And then... Because they were using the name. And apparently there's actually, like, a... a Line of robots in the book that are called the Nexus Sixes, so like they can't they can't use it. Are you serious? That's amazing. Yeah. So I guess then it also makes sense because if they release a seven-inch uh, Nexus of the the next year, yeah. they'd have to like figure out another name for the Nexus Seven tablet or just unify them into a single product. Um, but let's let's talk about the the screen resolution because we, I in particular, but we've all spoken about how ridiculous. Uh, 2K displays are 2560 by 1440, and that's what's rumored to be on the the Nexus X. And uh, even though it's going to have a faster processor, it's still massive, and and it's like there's too many pixels. You don't need that many pixels. That's a, that's like 500 pixels per inch, and I just didn't see an advantage of it uh, on the uh, on the LG G3, which is the first device that I've seen with with such a high resolution. Are you are is you it, guys? Is it Go ahead. I think one of our commenters on the pod maybe a few weeks ago had mentioned something where um, I think isn't that because with with Android L and Material Design they've like cleaned up all the space, but they've also thickened a lot of the borders to things. So the additional pixel width is just to to fill more menus. I don't think that's. I mean, Android has always been an adaptable layout type of OS, and developers have had to compile against dozens of different resolutions. I'm sure that Material Design will make a screen resolution of this um, density look better, but I don't think it'll be... I don't think Material Design was was created for this kind of pixel density, because... No, no, it was a a bit of a snide commentary, but I think... There, part of this, though, so I guess the first thing is part of this an attempt at standard, standardization of a 
new mobile resolution? Like, are they? Is this going to be the resolution that everyone aims for now? Yes, but they shouldn't. There's no advantage to it. I mean, the argument so for so long when 1080p came out, the argument was that okay, yes, there's a demonstrable improvement between say 326 pixels per inch, which is what the iPhone 5 and 5s, um, and you know from the from the iPhone 4 all the way to the newer devices um, like the Nexus 5 and the Galaxy S5 and things like that, you know, that's upwards 440, 450 pixels per inch. You can tell the difference. But going up to 550, almost 600, it's diminishing returns, and you're forcing the backlight to work harder, you're forcing the GPU to work harder, and you're lowering battery life as a result. And we saw that with the, with the LG G3. The G2, which has a 1080p screen, not only is a much better screen as a you know as it shows colors and brightness and viewing angles but it also has way better battery life so um, I just don't think even if we are going to move in that direction I don't think that the silicon is ready to support it have they said anything about the the reasoning behind it though no, it's just like, improvement has... for improvement's sake it looks like you know well okay so I guess the the reason why I would have a little bit more faith in it or take a wait-and-see approach is, first of all, um, it's a Nexus device. Second of all, it's being made by Motorola. So in terms of, I think, was it the last podcast or the podcast before uh, Jane was basically ride-or-die Nexus for life? Oh, yeah. That sweet, sweet I'll buy it. I don't care how big it is. <laughs> and but this is like... coming at a time when the, when the Motorola-Google um, relationship is changing. Yeah. But obviously this device has been in the works since long before then. But uh, if it's going to be a kind of like a final hurrah, you know, I'd, I'd be more interested in this as a Nexus device than something that like LG was making, for example. Yeah, I agree. But at the same time, you know, LG's created the last two uh, Nexus phones, and they did really well. They did, I think, better than, the, than Samsung Um you know, the yeah, Nexus sure. S was a great phone, but the ne Galaxy Nexus had a ton of problems. Do you think the the success had anything to do with LG? Like, like obviously they made it, but like they were they weren't bringing a lot of brand awareness to that, were they? I, I thought it was more momentum of the Nexus kind of brand than than that LG was bringing something. Like if you know, if you know, gun to my head, I'm being forced to use either an LG device or a Moto device. I'm going to take the Motorola device because. As we said before, they, they make interesting decisions with things, or they do make decisions, which is I kind of why I was harping on the screen, right? Like, I don't think that they... Motorola doesn't seem like the kind of company that would just do a weird spec, aspect ratio thing just because. I think I think a big... Because you were saying about the momentum of the Nexus, I guess, brand, I think a big part of it was making them cheaper and more affordable. Because up until the Nexus... Like, the Nexus 4 was the first one where they made like a conscious effort to, to make it very affordable. And I remember, I remember spending like quite a bit more when I was getting like the Nexus One and like the Nexus S and the Galaxy Nexus. So like the Nexus Four was the first one where it was, it was really affordable in the sense that it, it didn't, it made it way more appealing. I felt that was when I started seeing people outside of like the usual kind of tech crowd saying like, oh, I got this, I got the Google phone because it was it was cheap. Yeah. yeah, and I see Nexus Fives around Toronto all the time, mm -hmm. and I wonder how many of those were purchased from Google Play or whether they were bought through a carrier. Yeah. 
So I, I think the distribution model for Nexus, in Canada at least, has actually been really successful because unlike in the U.S., uh, I think T-Mobile offers the Nexus 5, but none of the other carriers do. Uh, yeah. in, the, in Canada, I think every single carrier offered the Nexus 5 on contract, and it wasn't too much more expensive if bought outright. It was like 150 bucks more. But you have to think... Google probably got a good deal from LG. They probably subsidized the cost to the mm -hmm. to, to customers in order to push out um, the product to as many people as they could because initially the Nexus program was meant to be more for developers and then it morphed over the years to be more of a, a good way for people to get, I guess, quote-unquote, pure Android cheaper, and it's been really successful as a result. Yeah, and I think you know that's part of the reason why Motorola was probably taking over with this device as well, right? Like they're they make their bones on, you know, eking, not necessarily performance, but experience out of uh, lower price devices. Yeah, and it's also interesting that over the last year, Motorola's gone from being, if if not an innovator, then you know a a really interesting phone designer to something of a hero for low-cost uh, Android phones, right? Because you have... Mm -hmm. they, they really were gung-ho about the, the Moto X when it, was, when it was released, but when the Moto G came out, the Moto X was relegated to being like a, an also-ran, one of those phones that you never really heard about unless it was associated with Moto Maker and customization. And mm -hmm. it's really been the Moto G that's caused the growth and momentum for... Motorola as a company. I mean, it's been the most successful smartphone they've ever created. Um, it sold millions of units all over the world, and it spawned the Moto E, which is even cheaper and is also a pretty great experience. So you have to realize that you know Motorola may not really be the same company it was even a year ago, and now that it's going to transition over to Lenovo, they could be... Um, they're probably just going to focus on the low end. I mean, we'll see what happens next week with the Moto X Plus One, but we know that the Moto G2 is coming. Yeah, but you get so but with that though, like all of those decisions were made long after this device was scoped, specced, and like started development. So for them to do like, I don't think it's going to every device following this from Motorola. I could totally see, you know, their that identity that we've been so interested in changing. But, like, they could not... If they had changed this device midstream, it would have severely changed the, the release timeline. Um, so I, I don't think that we're going to see too much variance in this device. But one thing that you actually just mentioned with the customization, I know, um, you know, Google, with the Google Play Store, has been uh, investigating or looking to make improvements to add more customization options through that. I wonder if, like, there's might be something to that paired with the Nexus 5 announcement. Like, wouldn't, wouldn't like, the last Motorola kind of, like, Google phone as a Nexus just be, like, the perfect way to kind of introduce that? Where, you know, not only is this, like, you know, it's not necessarily the pure uncut Android experience, but it's not vanilla either. You can kind of get, you can get stock, but stock in your flavor, or stock that you can play with. I think it's more likely that they would do customizations for the hardware, like they have with like the, the Moto X and like the different colors of like headphones and stuff. Because they did with the the Nexus Five, they started doing like like much after it was launched, admittedly, but they have like the red option and 
Mm-hmm. I feel like it's more likely that they will do like they'll keep it stock, but do like you know, cause like cosmetic customizations like on the outside as opposed to on the software. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I'm not too much software customizations. I'm I'm be more interested in the hardware stuff. You know, well, adding cats, decals, things like that. <laughs> emoji. Well, just go to Japan. You'll be you'll you'll have a lot of fun deking, uh, uh, glamming up your phones because that's a huge market there. So let's um let's talk about the iPhone six because you know that's that's something that I think a lot of people are either dreading or or hugely excited about. Um, it's kind of been confirmed that September 9th is the launch date. We also heard that the whatever wearable Apple is working on is also going to be announced that day. Uh, do you think that the iPhone six is going to do? what the iPhone 4 did, which is really the last time that... I mean, the, the subsequent phones were, were sold a lot, but in terms of kind of redefining the, um, the genre uh, for iPhone fans, I don't think it's been as big since the iPhone 4. You know, it introduced the, you know, the 960 by 640 display, um, the, uh, you know, introduced FaceTime, Introduced a much improved rear camera. So, what do you guys think? Are you looking forward to it? Dana, I know you're not really a, a, an. No, Apple. I don't think I'm not. Yeah, it's not that I was going to say. It's not that I'm not looking forward to it. I just. Oh, like. I guess it's, it's partly because Apple has this whole, like, secrecy thing where they don't they do, not do like, the teasers that we've been seeing, like, over the last few weeks for, um, from the other manufacturers for, for IFA, but they do. Like they just the rumor mill just goes crazy. So now we've got like I don't know how many variations of this phone. Like I'm just tired. Like I'm fatigued about the iPhone six before it's even come out. I'm like I don't care anymore. Like just I can't muster like the energy to to give a crap until yeah. I actually know what it is. But that's inside baseball stuff. And the reason yeah. you know, the reason why we don't know anything before an official announcement is because Apple doesn't want to tease things out. They want everyone paying attention all at once. They want to like set a conversation agenda, right? The, the, the most teasing we ever get usually comes from the invite, the invite itself. Yeah, yeah. And this one is really interesting because while you might say it could be something, you know, voice related, but it's kind of, you know, my take on this is more like, yeah, we really want to talk to you uh, about this event. And uh, I think, Daniel, you made the point that uh, the September 9th event is at the Flint Center. This is yeah. where they first unveiled the Mac. So it's not at... Um, Moscone? Moscone. Um, and I don't oh, know the heard. size of the Flint Center, if, like, it's, if it's bigger or smaller. It's but there, there's all, So it's got, it's, about, it's got about eight times the capacity. It has about 2,100 people. Um, it's big, and it means that they're probably inviting a lot more journalists, uh, and also they have probably a lot more to show, because they will probably have more demonstration space, mm-hmm. but I, I think it's it's more than the phone itself. I think what we've touched on is an interesting topic in and of itself. Is it really beneficial for companies like Samsung, LG, Sony, Huawei, all these OEMs that are mainly in the Android space teasing their products months and weeks before the launch? Does that actually help? Where Apple is has been so successful by just saying nothing, well, you know, and then you build up that. Because I, I, yeah, when we were talking about like the the Moto 360 the other day, and I find it so interesting that 
Motorola, I think, completely dropped the ball on that because they they kind of they kind of the first we saw of it was in March when when Google announced Android Wear and everybody went nuts over it. And then by not by by showing it, I guess, a little early, they kind of showed their hand a bit. They weren't ready to launch it, and now there's there are already devices out there that you know with the with the round face like the round smartwatch. And the Moto 360 hasn't even arrived yet, so I guess there is there is benefit to, to just saying nothing. But yeah, but or showing it and doing that thing where they they give you a little bit, but not the thing that you really want to know. Yeah. When it's like a really new device and that's pricing. So yeah. And when when they're when they're teasing you out with information, but they're not giving you the information that you really want to know. You need, yeah. Yes. Um. But I so to, to that point though, like, and you know, I think we talked about this before with BlackBerry and what they've been doing with the. The passport, like all these, all these companies that aren't Apple, have a messaging calendar, and they're trying to hit that message at like a probably at least a weekly cadence to 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 continue conversation and interest around these devices. And the reason why they do that, beyond the fact that it is like as a marketing tactic, generally effective, as long as you're not you know refusing to answer the questions that people have about the device that they really want to know, um, is because they don't have the ability to say nothing do a major event, capture the global tech world's attention, and deliver. It's, it's not as if, you know, Apple took, uh, you know, a specifically different strategy just because they wanted to. This is something that they've built up. This is a credibility that they've built up over years and years and years. Um, so I don't, I don't know what company, other than say, and, and Microsoft has attempted this, especially with a lot of the Nokia-related stuff, but you have to be the right type of company with the right type of hardware and the right thing to announce to be able to do an event like that. And I think with this one, I'm kind of less interested in iPhone 6 as with some of the other stuff that could be rumored to be announced, which have been rumored to be announced for like the past two years, but it seems like it's it's all coming to a head. And whether that's, you know, we want to get into those specific rumors. Um, but I, I think this one's going to be just an overwhelming force of, stuff. Yeah, so earlier in the week, um, you know, more more things uh, sort of cemented in in the rumor mill about Apple, you know, they're going to be releasing two phones, uh, different resolutions. There's a, you know, we've, John Gruber wrote this whole long article trying to figure out the resolutions of both phones. And without getting into specifics, the 4.7-inch version is supposed to be just slightly higher than 720p, and then the and maintain that 326 pixel per inch screen density. But the 5.5-inch version is expected to be much much denser, uh, somewhere above 2K, certainly higher than 1080p. And what this says is that Apple has finally conceded that they cannot maintain the uniformity of resolutions and screen densities, and that iOS 8 is really hinting at this more dynamic layout for apps where, uh, like Android, you create a single design and it, and it has to expand or contract depending on the screen size and the aspect ratio because Apple, as they get more complicated uh, and their ecosystem grows, they're are going to be more, just more devices out there running the same iOS version. So uh, we heard earlier this week that there's going to be a 12.9-inch 
you know, education and enterprise-focused iPad, and that's going to, you know, open up a whole other can of worms when it comes to usability. So, uh, you know, the company seems to be changing in its, in its sort of acknowledgement of what consumers actually want. You know, the four-inch device when I when I hold it today is really tiny. I still like it because it, I can use it in one hand, but it's it's very small. Does that so, bother you? Like, if would you like if say they you know the the, the two versions come out, which would you buy? Would you buy the the 5.5 or the 4.7? I don't know. I can't see myself ever wanting to use a 5.5 inch phone full time. I mean, I've been using the OnePlus One for a while. The G3 is 5.5 inches, but it's so compact that it doesn't right. feel that big. So I think if Apple could manage to make it. But I mean that's really the border. That's the high border for me. Uh, I really like the iPhone. Sorry, the um, the Nexus 5 size. I think that that's the right compromise. 4.7 to 5 7. inches at 1080p. That's the ideal for me. And uh, so 4.7 inch is probably going to be the way more popular version. Uh, it it still blows my mind that Apple's even venturing into phablet territory. So you know I'm I I don't know if I'll believe it until they actually announce it and then explain the reasons why they made it. Well, just even beyond that, just what you're talking about with the with the new iPad rumors, I, I think you totally nailed it. Um, and this is this is why on the other side Google has, you know, taken the material design initiative, right? To have some sense of design uniformity across so many uh, disparate form factors and devices. And I, I think iOS 7, there wasn't a lot to it, but it enables this type of... Um, Expansion, or as I think you said, complexity with the the number of devices and things like that, because it is it has become like kind of a flat, color-filled um, experience, right? There's a reason why Yosemite also looks more and more like iOS eight. Yeah, or I just iOS seven. That's a very modern-looking uh, aesthetic across every ecosystem. I mean, Microsoft. Updated Windows Phone. Uh, it looks, you know, it, it has that translucency uh, with Windows Phone 8.1. Uh, it's very smooth. There's, you know, very dynamic animations, and uh, you could argue that I think it, an Android Material Design uh, designed app looks fantastic, and I I think that Google's hit the nail on the head. Uh, it'll just be up to developers to create really fantastic. Uh, software for it. So, you know, when, when we see devices coming out later this year with uh, Android L preloaded on it, I want to see less messing with that experience from companies like Samsung and HTC and LG, and I just would love to see them sort of acknowledge the work that Google's put in to creating this feeling of fluidity that you really can't reproduce using these third-party OEM skins. Like, I haven't felt an Android version as smooth as what's found on Nexus. And so, you know, I really hope that they don't mess with a good thing. But, of course, they will. Yeah, I, I, I share your hope. Actually, I don't share your hope because I, I think your hope is silly. I think it's beautiful, Daniel. I love you for it. It's not going to happen, um, which is probably why Android Silver is a thing, right? <laughs> Well, we don't know if it's a thing. I mean, we haven't heard anything yeah. for, forever. If, well, if there's if there's smoke, there's phones. 
paraphrase. Yeah, but then, you, but then you've put your phone in the microwave, and that's just a whole other story. You better Actually, hope there's only smoke. <laughs> I saw this uh, phone... I saw a picture of a phone, and a guy wrote on Facebook that he heard that microwaving your phone could wirelessly charge it, and then he was wondering why it blew up. And uh, I just wonder if there are actually people like that in the world. Oh, there are. Oh, They're not the average mobile syrup reader. They definitely make sure to put their phones in the oven. In the, yeah, the oven is a way safer place to put your phone. You've got to bake it. Speaking of uh, phones, um, a new phone has been announced that is actually a wristwatch. I believe it is called the Samsung Gear S, and uh, this is the first smartwatch, not the first, but the first from a major manufacturer to have 3G connectivity built in. This was announced at the same time, literally at the same time, as LG's circular uh, G-Watch R, which is not a good name. And uh, let's talk about the Samsung one first, because it's Tizen-powered. It's got a curved display. It's not circular, but it's a little bit more squircular than the, uh, you know, it's the Gear Live. And uh, it's also a Samsung-only product, which means that it will only work with other Samsung smartphones, although you don't need a smartphone to use it because it has that 3G connectivity. So, Jane, you... Uh, you sometimes wear your Android Wear smartwatch. Does this interest you at all? No, it's Tizen. Like I don't. I it's it's it only works with Samsung devices. I'm never gonna buy a Samsung phone because, as we have already established, I have pledged my undying love to Nexus. But I just like it, I don't understand why it has 3G connectivity. I know that it's so it can make calls, but how is that supposed to work? Like I was reading in the press release that you can either use it to make calls or you can just have it like forward calls to your phone or have calls forwarded from your phone. So it's like it does both, but then do I have a separate phone number? Well, like, you must. Yeah. Because it probably so have a, a built-in SIM card. So then, like, how do, how do you know if I have this? How do you know when you take out your phone to call me if you're like, oh, should I call like her watch or should I call her phone? Or is the idea that this is supposed to replace my phone? And, and how so, will carriers treat it, which is a yeah, big question. Yeah, and then, so then it could be that, like, I don't know, is it going to be, like, bundled with a phone? But then then you really do have to have a Samsung device. And, like, it, it comes down to just, I just don't think that, that Tizen is, is ever going to be enough on its own to, to stand alone as a platform. Yeah, I, I, I find like, it really... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I find it really interesting because carriers have struggled to push 3G and LTE-powered tablets for a very long time. They've bundled them with smartphones as well, but they've never really taken off. Right. Um, this seems like it has a little bit more potential because it's not so much to carry around, but it still doesn't make a lot of sense because nobody's really ever going to want to yeah, I mean, yeah. make phone calls on a smartwatch. It makes no sense. No, but okay, so I, I totally agree that everything you're saying about this is, is really dumb. <laughs> And like just speaking, speaking of companies screwing with things, right? Um, but I think you know we have a story that's going up probably by the time that this podcast is live about Intel announcing the world's smallest 3G modem, right? Like I think beyond, if you separate it from calling, and you look at um, 3G connectivity in these wearable devices as an opportunity for wearables to break away from a, a master-slave relationship with a smartphone, it actually could enable smartwatches to be compelling beyond for something beyond just 
simple notifications, or even just allowing, you know, Daniel, we were talking about this earlier in the week. I've been playing around with a with a Pebble smartwatch, and and really all it's doing is displaying what I get from my iPhone. So I can either accept the hosts as it's given, or um, turn it off. It, if you have your own uh, self-connecting 3G smartwatch, there's an opportunity there for that device to be individually customizable and and set to the type of things that you would only want on a watch, right. rather than deciding what from your phone you're going to send to a watch. So I think that's compelling. It's it's never going to be fucking phone calls. It, but, reminds um, me, it, it reminds me so much of the Kindle, the 3G Kindle, where you don't have to pay a bill, like you don't do anything, but it has that connectivity. And that's where I feel like, mm. yeah, like it, it, it has so much potential if they use it as kind of like, like they use a 3G to enhance the companion device kind of aspect of it, but I don't see anybody ever wanting to pay like a bill for their for their watch. No. Well, so yeah, yeah, you're right. If you if you limit the if you limit the functionality to the point where it can it can use 3G for just the stuff that you would want your your watch to be able to do, and not not really make the watch a phone, then I think I could get behind it. Yeah, I, I had a use case in mind when I heard about this that I think is actually quite compelling. Doug, and it has nothing to do with phone calls. And I know that nobody makes phone calls anymore on their phone anyway, so you know, complaining that nobody wants to make it on a smartwatch is is dumb. I agree. But it is something that they're talking about, connectivity, 3G connectivity. I feel like streaming music, being able to stream a, a song to your um, to a pair of Bluetooth enabled headphones without needing to locally store that music, that is something that I would really like. You know the ability mm -hmm. to upload fitness data to, you know, S Health, for example, without having to sync it through my phone, not having to take my phone with me when I go to the store, uh, and have the ability to, you know, get emails, phone calls, text messages, even forwarded from my main number. You know, I don't know whether you're going to have to assign a phone number to that device right. if it's just a 3G connected device, because. Um, right now, the infrastructure is not really set in place for uh, for such a thing where, like, if you go to Rogers, Bell, or TELUS and you buy a mobile stick and you don't have any phone capabilities, you, they still assign you a phone number because that's how they keep track of you. But you'll never actually use that phone number to make calls. So I think this is kind of where yeah, they're going with this. It's also recommended that you, like, set up um, call blocking. So if people are spamming that number, you're not getting... Hit and things like that. That's mm -hmm. that's been an issue with customers before, right? But so yeah, so but with what you're saying, those are those are really great use cases. But they all relate to the wearable device being something more than a dongle for your phone and an independent experience, right? Um, and whether or not, like Jane, you said, it's it's Tizen or Tizen, which means that it's only gonna be a good experience for your Samsung phone. So that makes and it less then, compelling. Yeah. Even then, it's like. I don't know. I would argue that it's Tizen is not even a good experience for Samsung users. Yeah. Do we know? Well, that's how do we feel? Oh, go ahead. No, they're 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 advertising the fact that you won't need your phone at all because they're partnered with companies like Here, which is owned by Nokia, uh, Financial Times for a news service. Um, Facebook is making an app. Nike Plus is going to allow people to upload fitness data to the cloud just using your Gear S. So I actually think this might be 
more interesting as long as they get the right developers on board. It'll never be that popular because Tizen is a separate ecosystem. But as long as they can get some big names on board, it might be it might have a possibility to be successful. Okay. Do we do we want to pivot this and then talk about the other announced watch, which is a little bit more standard in its conception? But um, I was reading a great Verge editorial earlier today about how this is this kind of basically confirms that round smartwatches are are here, and smartwatches with aesthetic sense that yeah. are trying to be um, uh, a piece of, I guess, fashion first or an article of clothing of your wardrobe before um, a tech hardware dongle. Yeah, I'm not sure. I I'm not sure. I really love the design of the the G Watch R. I mean, it's better than the G Watch itself, but it still looks like a knockoff Omega Time, like a, a, a what's it called um, chronometer. Yeah. You know, it's really it's very busy. You know, there's actually numbers on the on the bezel. It's yeah. But people I'm, I'm people, people love it. it. People in the yeah. comments are like, "This looks freaking fantastic. This watch yeah. is sexy." I would love to have this. Mercy, yeah, Chris, take my money. I just bought the LG G Watch the other day. Yeah. <laughs> Shout but out yeah, to they're all like, I want Tackle this. Mac. <laughs> yeah, but I still but think the, the Moto 360 is probably your best bet. No, I disagree. I, like, I saw this, and I saw this, and okay. I was like, I'm sad um, that, you know. Yeah. Uh, shout out to comment for... 80. Hmm? Sorry? Oh, go ahead. I just feel bad for people <laughs> who bought the G Watch. I feel bad for anybody who bought a yeah. smartwatch at all until this point. Yeah. But but so we were saying, Daniel, it looks like a, a, a knockoff higher end watch, but as a knockoff of a watch, it actually looks like a watch, which I think is compelling. You can actually wear that with things and not have to explain what it is or why it's on your wrist. Mm. Um, and you know, Shout out to Aiden who made the great point. You know, you want to see final delivery version because um, I think even as Jane said that the Moto 360 looked yeah. looks really really sexy in photos and then not so much in person. So this might be the kind of thing where it looks way better on your wrist than um, and they're all doing next to a Triumph motorcycle. They're all doing the same thing where they don't actually show like the watch like sideways like on its own. So. It's like you never mm. actually get the full depth of the device, so you're kind of like, mm, it looks great in these like in these product photos, but I am not. Yeah, it's convinced. upside down in the in the photo that we have in the post. So, <laughs> if anybody can see my screen right now, uh, if you're watching the video podcast, you can see that it looks very similar to the nine thousand dollar Omega Seamaster Professional, which is kind of cool, um, except that it's not going to be made of stainless steel; it'll be made of plastic, presumably, but I know you can, you can kind of get a sense for what they're trying to do. Yeah, but it's, so, yeah, but it looks like a watch, and it's going to give you, it's Android Wear, so it's going to give you your Android notifications, so, and, you know, you're, you're getting functionality without sacrificing aesthetics, so it's, 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 it's another, it's another kind of stab at trying to figure out what this product category is actually about and for. Although I just noticed that this is, like, all their photos, they have men wearing it, and it is a really, like, manly-looking watch. Like, I think yeah. it looks gorgeous. I think it's beautiful, but I don't know what I want to wear it myself. Like, I would probably buy it for someone, but I just know, yeah, I just now realize that it's, like, they couldn't have made it 
more manly if they tried. Yeah, they really need to start focusing. I know that you wrote about Swatch launching a smartwatch-like device next year. Yeah, the fitness one. And I think those are the kinds of companies, if they're going to create you know, female-oriented or at least decent unisex smartwatches, they need to start with companies that already have a good eye for design. Right. And I don't know if LG does. Cause... Well, this, I, I think they do. Like, I think, I mean, if you want to go back to phones, like, I think, like, the Nexus 5 is, like, a gorgeous phone. I think it's it's beautiful. And I, I know that they can make devices that don't look as masculine as this. Like, I know phones are a whole different kettle of fish, but I feel like this is, like, there has to be someone at LG who, who knows, who, like, who looks at this and goes, like, oh, so we're marketing this towards men. Like, they, they, I, I don't know well, if they did this on purpose. The, or... the gender issues of the tech industry as a whole are, first, they're going to make a device that they either implicitly or explicitly think guys are going to like, and then they're going to figure out the women. Oh, yeah, because we're um, So, you know... Although, I guess the one counterpoint I would say in fairness, and I think we've talked about this before, is that when a, in a product category where you're now trying to cram hardware into something that's always been like, right. small, it might take a few years for them to be able to get uh, the, the feature parity in like a really sleek, smaller design, right? I don't think it has like, to be sleeker or smaller. I just think it has to... You know, if they did like a like right now, it's black on black on black. If they did like like a white on like you know on bronze look, like this is silver and black. Like they could make it this current design still look less blokey. Yeah, yeah, highly yeah. blokey. I agree with that. I also think you know LG really did try to appeal to women um, with the G Watch in general, and 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 the they were the only manufacturer who actually came out and said, we want this smartwatch to be used by both men and women. Um, and I mean, they weren't, they, they weren't patronizing about it, at least not, the, not in the press releases that I said, that I, um, that I read, but I really do think like with, with the G-Watch, it's just such a blank slate that you can make it whatever you want. And later this year when uh, it becomes a bit more open with the watch face API, people will be able to design uh, watch faces that appeal to different personalities, um, different ages, and, and different genders. And I think that that's important to acknowledge, that it pretty much is, unlike the Pebble, which is kind of hard to do, having a, a, you know, a, a color display and very small bezels makes it basically as versatile as you want it to be. I just don't think that many of the watch faces right now are nice in general. Yeah, well, because they're not so. being designed by people who make watches, right? They're being made by yeah, hardware, like, right. hardware manufacturers, right? Hardware engineers, yeah. Um, yeah, so highly blokey. Um, but exciting to see. I'd rather have a, a round watch than a square watch. I agree, and I, I think it's the right direction to move. So uh, let's, let's talk about um, a little scoop that we had today. Uh, the, the Samsung Galaxy S5 Active is coming to TELUS, and uh, we learned that uh, through a trusted source, and we also know that, or at least we understand that it's being shopped around to other carriers, though we don't have any confirmation uh, right now. So this is a device that is less necessary than the Galaxy S4 Active, 
because that one was waterproof, but so was so is the regular Galaxy S5. So this is just kind of taking it one step further, and I think it's it's nice looking if you're kind of into that whole camouflage army type design. Uh, but I I would never, I don't think I would ever go out of my way to buy this. What do you guys? If think? you do if you do all your shopping at Mech, then yes. Yeah, definitely. I was thinking people like people yeah people who are very like you know very outdoorsy people who work in like construction like architects that kind of people who find themselves regularly in environments where you know there's a risk to their devices I think for sure. But yeah, yeah as like as a as a person who is not not in construction or any kind of um. Imminent danger line of work or in imminent danger. Yeah, I. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. But th- th- I don't know, man. Th- Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is just another example of, like, Samsung selling the same device <laughs> with some, some slightly different tweaks. Yeah, like a scatter chain, Fresh inventory and keep the general economies of scale to have prices low and, you know, cool niche product, mm-hmm. but maybe if it actually had, like, a Swiss Army knife sticking think, out of it. Do you think it's on. worth it? Like, you were talking about how they, they do this all the... Like, Samsung, it's become, like, their thing where they they make the same phone, like, four times and just to try and appeal to different, like, niche markets. And it seems like, like they can't... I feel like I, I've never... I would never... I've never seen, an S, like, an S4 active in person. I've never seen anybody who owns one in public. And I'm like, is it worth it? Like, do they... Are they they must, they must sell at least enough to warrant a sequel. Yeah. Uh, I saw a Galaxy S4 Active. My, um, my uncle, who lives in the U.S., has one, and he loves it. I mean, he he's a lawyer, so it's not really like he's somebody who, you know, drops his phone all the time, but he says that he's around... Like, he has young kids who are constantly throwing his phone... Uh, playing games, basically treating it like kids do, and he feels way more comfortable setting it to kids mode, which only lets them open a bunch, like a couple of apps, and giving them the phone than if he had an iPhone or a regular Galaxy S5. So I see that, you know, it's it seems like it's gonna last longer than your two-year contract at the very least. Yeah, so I'm not, it has that be- going for it. I'd be interested to see if a lot of people buying this device are coming into the store and getting sold on it, or if it's more of a... They're, like, actively seeking it out. Yeah, like a direct sale thing through business. Because, like, I could definitely see this also appealing to the people who are really excited to get, um, you know, Ida and Blackberries in the mid-2000s with an OtterBox case just because they're taken into environments where they need that durability. But, yeah... It's right, just but another, you can get an another defender for any any device. I mean, yeah, practically. that's what I was saying. You're saying, oh, he gives it to his yeah. kids and stuff. I'm like, well, you know, if that's the if that's the use case, like, yeah, okay. There's so many like like high impact, like durable cases that you can buy, to, and like a lot of them are marketed towards like, hey, you can like a lot of those like iPhone or iPad cases that have like handles and like stuff for kids all the 
So I don't know. I, I find that, again, it's... Eh. Also, don't give your phone to kids. Go outside and play catch with them. No, it's, there's value. There's value in, the value in that. Yeah. Try taking your kids to a restaurant and, uh, you know, ask them to sit still without giving them a phone. And, they even, uh, yeah, exactly. They even, like, before we had phones and tablets, like, restaurants would give, like, crayons and, like, stuff to, like, keep them busy. Right. I would still take the crayons, for <laughs> sure. And you would probably eat them. You were that child. So I think it's I think it's cool. I want to see it. I want to try it for myself. I'm not I'm not dismissing it outright. It's the same phone. I mean, if you like the Galaxy S5, you know, it's got the same processor, same display. Uh, it's got the fingerprint scanner. Sorry, it's got the heart rate sensor. It does not have the fingerprint scanner. It has a 16 megapixel camera. It just has that rubber gasket around the sides and the back that's going to protect it when it falls. It's dustproof, waterproof, shockproof. Built-in gyroscope, compass. Yeah, it's got everything that you would need uh, to be sort of a an outdoorsy um, kind of person. So, yeah, I mean, it also has a camera shutter button, which the regular Galaxy S5 doesn't, so that's another reason to get it. And the physical buttons. Yeah, yeah the physical buttons, too, which, I don't know, that's that's hit and miss, because physical buttons wear, and they yeah. can actually get stuff crap, like stuck in there. So, yeah. No, I'm, I'm making all these jokes, but I'm going camping in two weeks to Lion's Head, and I'm going to be shitting bricks when I bring my phone. Because I, I don't thing. want to pull it. You know, I, I, I was talking to a guy last night, and he has a Sony Xperia, and he said that the only reason he bought that phone was because it was waterproof. The, there was no real advantage to it over, you know, the equivalent Samsung. He, was waterproof something that he, like, would, like, why did he require waterproof phone? Was it just something that he was like, oh, hey, like, that sounds like it would be good, you know? A good safety feature, or does exactly. he actually work near water? No, he's a he's a developer. He oh. just uh, he was part of that uh, Google Glass panel. Yeah. Um, he's just said that it was so important to him that he wanted a waterproof phone because he's constantly using his phone, and he if it rains or if he's going running, and he doesn't want to have to get a waterproof case. And it's just it makes sense. Or even just a bad spill. I know, like so, Jane and I were at the Kobo event. Um, earlier this yeah. week, hanging out with synchronized swimmers, uh, drinking uh, uh, sex on the beach, um, <laughs> and talking to uh, the Kobo engineers there, it just became obvious that one of the apparent implicit benefits of a waterproof device isn't necessarily, hey, I can dunk this in water, but also just knowing that it's a, a certain degree of waterproof, I can be in situations where if I would have to clean this device or worry about using water to like remove something else. I'm I'm just more comfortable in so many other situations where you know even if I'm if it's raining and I'm biking around, uh, I'm just I'm just waiting for my iPhone to short circuit in my pocket because I don't even use a case because I'm I'm just that kind of guy. Um, so I, I totally understand that peace of mind element. You don't have to be like a, a deep sea diver. Oh, but that would be amazing. Well, you can go to a depth of three meters, and then after that... <laughs> <laughs> For, like, 20 minutes, like, but yeah. yeah. So you could snorkel with your phone. Yeah. Deep-sea oh. snorkel. Deep-sea snorkel. But then, it, yeah, I guess. Because the Galaxy, or the Xperia, the Xperia does work underwater. It's not like the... Because the, um, the Kobo um, doesn't work underwater. It just can go in water. Yes. I remember, hurts, I guess. there was a story a week or two ago about a guy who lost his Xperia... 
and it washed up on shore a month later, and some guy found it, charged it, and turned it on, and it worked. That's awesome. That's amazing. And that really proves that Sony goes the extra mile with its, yeah. uh, you know, when it actually tries to secure those those screws and gaskets and stuff. And uh, you got to give them props for that, because I don't know if the Galaxy S5 would, would last yeah. that long. If Sony doesn't turn that into a marketing campaign in the next six months, their yeah, marketing is even worse wrong. than we think it is. <laughs> well, I mean, they're, they're set to launch the Xperia Z3 next week, mm-hmm. which, for all intents and purposes, unless they pull a rabbit out of a hat, is exactly the same phone as the Z2. Oh, that makes me exactly so angry. the same phone as the Z1. <laughs> Literally, they've released the same phone three times. I don't understand it. And people were saying to me, why didn't you include the Xperia Z2 in your, um, in, in your best phones roundup? And I'm like, because they've already released it. That's the reason that Rogers didn't pick it up, because they had no reason to. They got the Z1. They already had it, yeah. <laughs> it's like... It looks a little bit better, but that's it. And the, from the leaks, the Z3 looks just a little bit better than the Z2. But it's got the same camera, same specs, same, same screen, screen size. same amount of RAM, same, same Not battery. Not to say that the Z2 battery was a bad size. phone. It's a great phone. It was very powerful when it was released earlier this year, but it was still only released like eight months ago, and or six months ago. Six months ago, yeah. yeah. I don't really understand anything that Sony does anymore. Well, they like 14 years. Going through some serious... <laughs> 14 years. Um, but uh, let's talk about something really cool, as Yay. Doug wrote this afternoon. Let's talk about Cyanogen working with uh, Nextbit on a really cool project that we are... I'm really interested in. I don't know about you guys, but I think this is actually going to be phenomenal, especially if it's a piece of hardware that's being built with ex-Google and ex-Motorola executives... Uh, what do you guys think, Doug? Is is this uh, is this an, another Android phone, or is this something completely different? Cyanogen had my curiosity, but now they have my attention. Um, <laughs> I, I, I tweeted that earlier, and I wanted to use it because I thought it was funny. No, uh, this is cool. Um, this is this is where that part of me, that tech nerd inside of me, that still loves things like Cyanogen Mod. And, and wants to, to fiddle with stuff or try different phone experiences then the the boilerplate gets excited because they're partnering with a hard hardware manufacturer um, that has a really deep bench of experienced people from uh, they're all ex Google ex Motorola people 18 million in funding from Google Ventures and they just brought on um, Scott Crow who's the person that headed up all the experience user experience and design for HTC's entire portfolio. So that's HTC One, HTC Sense, uh, everything. Um, so you're getting a company that's dedicated to making open source Android as compelling as they possibly can um, with a new startup with the... Um, uh, how would I put it, the, the pedigree to be able to design some cool hardware. So I, I really want to see what they're doing. Yeah, but it's it's really, for me, strange that they're using a Google Doc form to ask people to sign up for their private alpha. I mean, it doesn't sound like this is a piece of hardware that they're, do- that they're going to send to somebody. 
it looks like it's a piece of software because it says list any devices you may want to use for this trial. What does this trial mean then? Is this you know a launcher? Is this uh, you know some add-on to your phone? Well, it's so. I guess by way of background, if people aren't aware of Nextbit, so their mandate is to develop technologies for integration between cloud services and mobile devices. So it's entirely possible that this is in no way hardware related right now. But I think the the big home run idea is, um, and this is where Cyanogen has been making inroads in terms of increasing its executive board to have more than, say, two hardware partners. Um, I think there's opportunities here. Uh, With the Google Doc thing for the private alpha, like, I think a lot of that's, they're also not, this isn't a call for everyone. This is a call for um, their their current forums community to participate. But even the fact that they're, like, starting at that level and working their way up to a device that their community would want that they'll then make available to everyone is, like, such a different approach to to phone hardware that we see from anyone else. So it, it just has, it has my attention. I, I want to I wanna see where they can go with this. Um, you know, I've been ogling your OnePlus One every time you pull it out, Daniel, because it, it looks pretty hot. So a few software issues um, or firmware issues. Um, but yeah, I want to see more of this stuff. I want to see more people take the open source part of Android and do cool things with it. Yeah, what's what's interesting is that, you know, until recently, you know, just by way of example, Google did not allow developers access to the, um, what was it called, the Google Experience Launcher. So they didn't, they, they were allowed certain aspects of that open source part of the, of, of the Android 4.4 launcher, but it was only, only the, only certain aspects of it were were available, so you couldn't swipe to the right to get to Google Now on anything but a Nexus phone. And then they eventually released the launcher to the Play Store, and they added um, compatibility with different phones. And eventually, last a couple of weeks ago, they released it to everybody using Android 4.1 or above. And the reason I bring that up is not that it's significant in the sense that Google released a launcher to everybody, but that it's indicative of the way that Google's approaching its open source strategy. They'll release Android as, updated versions of Android as a as a whole, but then they'll leave out certain parts that they don't want everybody to have access to. So Cyanogen has been forced over the years to create its own features on top of open source mm-hmm. and the open source project. And that's allowed them, it's not only taught them a whole lot, and it's allowed them to become a company with tons of funding, but it's actually engendered them to the community at large, because people trust Cyanogen. They think, okay, well, unlike HTC or Samsung, which wants to sell me a phone first, and then they'll forget about their software updates later, Cyanogen is all about software. That's their mandate. Yeah, and they, this, they, yeah, with that, they, they list their uh, software upgrade commitment to Cyanogen devices on their homepage. Think of any other, like, Android manufacturer that even acknowledges the up, up, upgrade process, let alone them putting it front and center. Yeah, So you're absolutely. completely right. So I think that OnePlus One was, pro- uh, OnePlus was probably the only good um, partner for them in the short term, 
But in the long term, I see them partnering with other major OEMs who don't want to like look at look at a company like Lenovo or Huawei or Asus or Acer who build millions of Android devices every year, but don't really have the capacity to create really great differentiating software experiences. I see them partnering with a company like Cyanogen to uh, build those new experiences that run stock versions of Android and are way better than what they would build themselves. Yeah, and that's, that's something that I wanted to, to... I didn't write about it in the post because it's a bit of a stretch, but definitely talk about it because, you know, you just did the the Alcatel review, right? There's this there's this huge wave, this swath of, of these new uh, international mid-range phones um, that that are that do certain things certain things right and other things not so right. If if they had um, a community accepted uh, kind of Android alternative to package with that, doesn't that just raise the level of attention? And then it's just a matter of making sure that the devices are more easily available than say the OnePlus One or the the Oppo N1. Like right. I, I think right. that that like that could be like a huge, huge deal. Well, I mean, the OnePlus One is essentially the Oppo Find Seven with Cyanogen. So you know, Cyanogen is a way better piece of software than anything Oppo's ever built. I mean, their color OS is terrible. So it automatically makes the OnePlus One a, a better phone, even if they were the same price with the same specs. Who knows? Anyway, let's uh, let's chat a little bit, and we'll close up with uh, some Rogers stuff. Uh, first of all, this week Rogers and Shaw co-announced Show Me, which is sort of a Netflix competitor, but not really because it's currently only open to uh, cable and internet subscribers at both companies. So the potential audience for the beta, which they're calling. Uh, in the first six to twelve months, it'll be a beta, is uh, about 4.5 million people, which is not a whole lot. I mean, Canada's got about 33 million people, and four and a half million people already subscribed to Netflix in Canada. So uh, this is going up against Netflix, but it'll it'll really compete against Netflix in the coming years. But what it does have over Netflix is content. As we all know, Netflix Canada is pretty terrible when it comes to content. So Rogers and Shaw own City TV and Global, respectively. They have tons of licenses for U.S. shows. They have FX. They have Home Garden Television. They have A and E Canada. They have um, they have History Network, I believe. They have a ton of stuff. So this is really important because for the same price, you will get better content than Netflix, even though it may be limited at first. Yeah. Jane? Yeah, but I just don't understand that, like, it's, it, what, yeah, how much does, it, is it like 10 bucks a month or something? It's 9 bucks, which is the same price as Netflix. But then I pay for Netflix to give me TV because I don't want to pay for cable, but then if I'm paying for cable, why would I want to pay for Netflix on my cable? Yeah, The right. content's great is... because you're already paying for it with your Rogers cable connection. Can I like, use it on like, doesn't... other devices? Like, I don't understand. I don't get it. I mean, I agree with you. I think it's a, it would be a great Netflix competitor, like down the line. But I think the fact that it's tied to my cable subscription, like, I don't, it's I don't not understand. okay. So it's actually it's cable or internet. So oh, okay. you are currently a Shaw cable or internet subscriber 
or a Rogers or a cable or internet subscriber, you can mm -hmm. sign up for it at launch. Um, they were trying to get Bell to work with them, but it, the deals didn't go through because Bell is another huge content owner yeah. in Canada, so they probably want to go off and do their own Netflix service because they own Astral, which is HBO Canada, so they have all that amazing uh, premium content to work with. But uh, I think everybody was really down about the fact that you need a cable or internet subscription, but you have one anyway. I mean, unless you are literally surviving on your 6 gig a month data plan on your phone, you should have cable or internet with one of these two companies, at least in central Canada slash Ontario. So that makes sense. Um, they developed it using an outside company. It's a Montreal-based company called U.io, uh, I think. And it's nicely designed. It's beautiful. It's available on iOS and Android, Xbox 360, set-top boxes eventually, and the web. So not every platform that Netflix is available on, but most of the big ones. So does that change your opinion of it at all? I mean, sort of. I just, like... I also think they're kind of late to the game, too. I mean, Netflix Canada is not anywhere close to where I think it should be in, her, in terms of content. So I feel like that will be their, yeah, it's the biggest advantage. But, yeah, I just, I'm like, meh. I don't, I don't have any interest in giving Rogers more money for, for something that I already pay for. Hmm. So, I don't know. I, I don't I, want... Sorry, go ahead. I, I'd rather have a company like Netflix become... Yeah more of a content provider than have Rogers become more of a, a digital content distri right. distribution company. I, I don't want... Because, the you know, we talked about this last month. The problem with this is that... How, what, what do you think uh, Netflix service is going to be like on Rogers after this is available? Yeah. Well, like, Rogers... So Netflix just released a list of of ISPs that give them free passage to their full network speeds, and Rogers, Bell, and TELUS are one of them, are, are, are included on that list. So Rogers doesn't slow down that uh, connection. I don't think they'll ever have the tenacity to, unlike Comcast and Verizon in the U.S. Um, I just don't see them doing that. Rogers and Bell and TELUS, they don't charge for these like add-ons, you know, like tethering the same way that they do in the U.S. I just don't think that's a part of the, the, the culture here. Um, I also want to point out that it's not a matter of, you know, you don't want Rogers to become a over-the-top video distributor or more than they already are, but Netflix will never have access to that content because Rogers has already signed licenses to it for their television broadcast, and so has Shaw. Netflix will just never be allowed to, to own that uh, licenses to that content in Canada. So you'll never get Modern Family on Netflix Canada. You'll never get um, like a bunch of Showtime or uh, FX Canada shows. You'll never get access you, to the stuff consider, on City TV. I don't know. I don't know who your internet or, or TV provider is, but would you do it? Would you sign up for nine bucks a month? Well, I'll try it. I mean, it's one month. I, I have mm -hmm. Rogers at uh, at home and with my internet. So, um, yeah, I'll. I'll Try it. I'm assuming they're going to give people 30 days free like they do, or, net, or at least two weeks free like Netflix does when it launches in the first week of November. I think it, it's going to be interesting because it's being run as a separate company, and uh, that means that, you know, for all intents and purposes, these are two competitors or quote-unquote competitors 
um, trying to do something interesting. I mean, it's it's not as revolutionary as I wanted it to be, and it doesn't have the amount of content that I wanted, but it's better than not having a Netflix competitor aimed at Canadians at all. And if you don't if you don't want to sign up for it, nothing's going to change, right? So I don't see a downside to it at all. I actually think it's quite a nice product. I like the idea of Netflix competitors. I don't like the idea of them being owned by telecoms. Um, um, I think, I don't know, I think I would, I would be more up for it, I think, because it usually costs the same as Netflix, but I'm already, like, Rogers already has my business, so shouldn't there be some kind of, like, why can't I get it if I'm a cable, like, especially if it's cable, like, internet, like, that's fine, whatever, but if I'm a Rogers cable subscriber, like, why can't I get that at a reduced rate, because I'm already watching Rogers cable at home, this just seems like it would be, like, a supplementary service that kind of boosts that Rogers cable experience. That's exactly what they're trying to trying to do. So, but they're, they're still charging get... me. Like I don't know. I yeah. still think and it's some, haven't they? Don't they? Didn't they already have a service that allowed you to do that? But now they've rebranded it as a separate company, so they can charge you for it. No, no, no. So this is actually only past seasons of shows. Uh, right now, if you have a cable subscription, you get the last five episodes of the current season. You don't get past seasons. So it so sounds even more like it's supplementary. Like yeah, like it sounds like it's even more like a supplementary service that like enhances your Rogers experience or your Shaw experience. So why do I have to pay full price? Like I kind of understand if I just have Rogers Internet and they're like, hey, you don't have Rogers Cable, but here's this thing that lets you like you know watch all your favorite shows, like past seasons of your favorite shows. But if I already subscribe to Rogers Cable and Internet, then why can't I get this for a cheaper rate? Considering they already give it, getting all my monies. Well, because they had to pay money to negotiate deals with the the content companies to get that right. Like they do, there there is a big. It makes huge cost. No, I know, but they were they were rumored to pay a hundred million dollars for the additional licenses for past for past seasons, Oof. plus movies. So this isn't just television. Uh, the if you watch the the video I shot at the launch, there are some really great movies from different genres um, that aren't available on Netflix because they have, Rogers and Shaw have pre-existing relationships with Fox, with Universal Pictures, uh, with ABC, which owns Disney. So you'll find that a lot of stuff that will never come to Netflix Canada will, but is in Netflix US, will uh, be available on Show Me. So if you're really into certain content, then I think this is a good deal. If you don't want to give Rogers or Shaw more money, that's well, your prerogative. But your logic by saying, "Oh, there are certain shows here that you are never going to get on Netflix Canada," like that doesn't mean like that doesn't make it like a good deal. It just makes it a necessary deal. Where like if you really want that content, then you have to pay for it somewhere else. Well, I guess Netflix Canada could decide that next year they wanted to steal a certain show from Rogers or Shaw. And they, that's their right to do so. So it's not that it'll never be available, but Netflix Canada has to decide, okay, we want to outbid Rogers um, on past seasons of Mean Girls or whatever, um, Two Broke Girls. So, you know, that's already on Rogers, the city TV. Rogers already pays for the current season. Then the content owner is just going to say, okay, well, give us an extra, say, 50 grand an episode, and we'll give you past seasons done. Right. Whereas yeah. uh, with Netflix, they may say, okay, well, 
you and I don't have a pre-existing relationship in Canada, so charge we're going to charge you a hundred grand per episode. So it's it's different. Yeah, and when we, you're also seeing that Netflix, you know, content-wise, there is, you know, the overlap isn't necessarily in availability. Also, is like targeted, right? You know, I don't think Netflix would ever say that they're they're target ideal heavy users, the people that are binging House of Cards um, or other Netflix-generated content or, uh, you know, Archer episodes are the type of people that really, really, really want to use Netflix to watch Modern Family and Two Broke Girls. Like, if you're super into Two Broke Girls, you probably already have a cable connection anyways. Yeah, um, maybe. And, it's a and I don't mean that as an insult. Genre. I'm like, I don't even know who you're insulting. I'm just like, I don't. I know that I'm insulted on behalf of someone. I just don't know who it is. No, there's just no, a... I mean, like, Netflix Canada has all the AMC shows, right? So they have Mad Men, they have Breaking Bad. Walking they have a ton of really great content. Yeah. Um, some of it's not even available in the U.S. So it's just, it's a mess, right? It's very, The content licensing ecosystem is very fragmented. And the fact that Show Me exists and can exist speaks to the fact that, you know, the content licensors in Canada are boxing out the over-the-top guys like Netflix because they have these pre-existing relationships and because they own, like, that's my biggest issue with Show Me as a concept is that because Rogers and Shaw already own so much of the, the live TV content that they can strong-arm the companies like ABC, Fox, Viacom, um, Comcast to give them past seasons of shows because they already broadcast them on their cable or, you know, f satellite connections, right? So they have way too much power. Um, and, yeah. and I'm sure that a company like Comcast is going to want to, they would prefer to talk to a company like Rogers versus negotiate with Netflix because Netflix is an upstart and they're trying to disrupt the ecosystem. Yeah, there's a reason why this was set up as a separate company. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the thing that I that bothers me more so than the actual portfolio offering. Although the thing, you know, the thing that would really, really get me to actually consider this would be, you know, in the list of shows there, I don't see a single HBO show. But if I could spend, that's because Bell owns those shows, and Bell doesn't want to yeah. negotiate with Rogers yeah. and Shaw on this. Yeah. So. And I'm actually a Bell internet user, so I got. So I'm waiting for their eventual offering to be able to get that. It's 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 like when uh, it's like in 2010 when I had to decide my satellite provider based upon who was going to actually let me watch Raptors games and carry TSN2, which is you know it's the same battle over and over again. I'm not excited about it. I'd rather I'd rather rent the stuff that I can't get on Netflix through like Xbox uh, Video then sign up for this. Yeah, no, I, I agree. You could also use a VPN to get US Netflix or Hulu or anything like that, but uh, this is the more legal way. Yes. Um, or if uh, Rogers wanted to, you could they could open it up to their wireless subscribers. Um, we re-reported this week that Rogers just introduced a 30-gigabyte shared data plan, which costs at minimum... $240 a month for a single a single account. Uh, that would be $50 for the phone and texting plan and then $190 for the uh, data 
which can be shared with uh, nine other numbers. So you can have up to 10 people sharing 30 gigabytes of data. Uh, it does work out to be somewhat cheaper per gigabyte than, say, a 6 gigabyte or 2 gigabyte plan. Uh, it is the lowest per gigabyte charge that uh, you can get with a share everything plan. And if you do decide to share it between 10 people, with the uh, $60 or $50 bring your own device charge per month, it's going to charge. It's going to cost you $69 plus tax for uh, dividing it between 10 people. So you get three gigs of data for $69 plus tax, which is not a great deal, but it's certainly cheaper than what they offer right now. So what do you guys think? Should we go in on this together? Yeah, can we get a mobile syrup account? First of all, all the listeners should know that Daniel did all those numbers in his head. So shout out to Daniel's brain. But um, yeah, no, we, we called this on the... What? Say that again, I think I got cut off. I said my brain is called Wolfram Alpha. <laughs> okay, great. Um, oh, I was going to make a penis name joke, but we're going to keep going. Um, I So... <laughs> We called this, I think, on the very first podcast when we said, like, the the whole the, Roger's realignment of its um, pricing plans partially due to the new mandates by the CRTC were totally designed to make it anything other than ridiculous to sign up your whole family through these plans. Um, partially as a way to screw <laughs> people who might be looking for a deal on wind. Like there, there's no way that you that you would allow any member of your family to ever go on anything other than the the family plan because the look at the data rates and it's, it's not even like obviously if you have more people for more data the the cost per data is going to go down. The problem is that, that the in general the the prices are a little ridiculous. So yeah, I think we should we should go in on this, but it's because we have to. Because we use our phones for porn all the time. For research. For research purposes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's not a great deal, but it's, it's interesting that Rogers is the first company to launch a 30 gigabyte shared data plan. It also points... It, it's, it's interesting also that this is the first time that uh, wireless data buckets have come close to the same numbers as home internet packages. So... Uh, you can. I don't know if you can still get a 30 gigabyte home internet package through Rogers, but it's it's getting closer. And I think over the next couple of years, you'll see 45, 60, 60 gigabyte per month data buckets. And they may not be cheap, but they'll be lower per gigabyte than uh, what you can get in the uh, you know two to six gigabyte range. Uh, so I think that this is a good move on on Rogers' part. It's probably going to be. You know, used mainly by businesses or, or you know, very large families or you know, friends that want to go in on a single account together. Um, I don't know if the stipulation still stands that you have to be at one address um, with a with an account. I, I I know that Sprint changed their policies earlier this year in the U.S. to allow friends from different uh, homes to sign up for a single account, but uh, we should look into that on Rogers. So uh, yeah, with yeah, I would think. It It'd be some sort of change just because, like, a 10-account family. Good Lord. Like, there's got to be, like, unless the dog has a, a 3G tablet and a phone, 
it's it's hard no, to but, see. I mean, it also allows for tablets and and uh, wireless sticks, right? So you can have a family of, mm. you know, mom, dad, and three kids, and they all have a phone and a tablet. That's ten people, right? Or that's ten devices. Yeah, but then right if there. you actually do have ten devices, how fast are you going to eat through that thirty gig allowance? And that's the problem is you can say like, oh, you can have ten people, and then you just divide the cost by ten, and it's like super cheap. But it's like no. Like it's still then then you've got like ten people with like a three gig limit per device. But Roger says that the average smartphone user in Canada uses about one point seven to two gigabytes per month. But then it's it's also the fact that it's shared, so you can have one person who uses like six or seven for whatever reason. Cause, right, know. but then then you break his legs, and yes. then he'll never do it again. When 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 I was growing up in the nineties. And my brother and I wanted to watch different TV shows. I would put them in a headlock. Um, I guess the modern family now has to fight over the data book is <laughs> data use. Yeah. Well, there you go. All right. So um, we we have one more piece of uh, content for you, Doug. Do you wanna do you wanna introduce Hyperlapse? Because I know that you were you were pretty hyped about this uh, oh. product yeah. earlier this week. Bringing back the app of the week shadow. Sometimes it's a little difficult. Sometimes we don't really have an app we want to talk about. This is really cool. Um, second app released by Instagram. Um, first, obviously, since being acquired by Facebook. Allows you to... So leverages their cinema algorithm, which is what they use in um, Instagram video recordings. But they've taken it a step farther to allow basically significant image stabilization for any iOS video uh, that you record through the app, uh, as well as the ability after the fact to do um, speed up, slow down, kind of time-lapse processing on it. So you can create some really cool videos. And, you know, a lot of hype. Um, there's a lot of hype around digital image stabilization. Um, but from everything that I've seen from this, all the videos, all the tests, um, even just from friends and family members, it works really, really well. Uh, and we put up a post today where the Instagram engineers took some time to explain exactly how they went about doing it. Uh, and it's, it's pretty cool the way that they basically uh, assign a central box and <laughs> let no jaggies into that box. But there is there's some cropping. So if you wanna if you wanna see the the tech behind it, go check out that post. But just in general, like it's a really cool way to take smooth video on your iPhone now. Um, and then Jane, I think you did the initial post, but it doesn't look like it's coming to Android anytime soon. Probably no, just because of the, the, the differences the in camera and the, gy the gyroscope um, APIs for Android are not friendly. So not yet. It'll not be yet. so. Uh, Google has announced, they announced at I.O. that they're releasing a new camera API for uh, Android L. So developers should have a lot more granular access to the Android uh, camera going forward. And I think more than anything, you know, the iPhone's camera as a piece of, you know, um, you know as a sensor and, and, a, and, a, and a module with a lens and, and all the mechanical stuff, is not superior in many ways to what's out there on a say Galaxy S5 or, or an LG G3. Or a Nexus fact, 5. I, or the well, it is <laughs> objectively. But uh, 
you know, those cameras have potential to be better than the iPhone 5, but the or the iPhone 5s camera. But the IQ in iOS, the fact that developers can plug in so deep to the API, makes it a lot more interesting. And you see this with uh, what what are they calling their technology? Uh, what is Instagram? Cinema, similar yeah, cinema algorithm, and it's amazing. I've been using Hyperlapse for the last couple of days. And it's just phenomenal. And actually, if you if you watch the introduction video for Hyperlapse, it features Toronto. It's it's a boat out on Lake Ontario, uh, looking at the the downtown uh, skyscape, and it's beautiful. It's really well done. So, I think they're heading to Toronto Island for yeah. For week. And, uh, <laughs> it's it's they're taking the ferry, and it, it looks really great. Yeah. So if you're on iOS, download it. Otherwise, um, stay Amazing. tuned for an Android version. Wait as long as you waited for Instagram on Android. Yes. Oh, and, then, fuck off. and then complain that Android doesn't have the same quality as iOS, because um, Instagram apparently messes with your with your photo on Android. The quality is not as good. Well, I'm sure all the Instagram users notice the quality of their photos. It's not as good. That's, that's why there are filters. Um, but no, Daniel, you you were saying before. I I I think a little bit of it is it's always easier to prototype for iOS. Because you're you're dealing with one source, but um, I don't even know if it's the um, greater sense of knowledge in like it's not that the iPhone is doing anything differently. It's, if you're going to build a product like this, you're not going to start with the platform where you have so many different types of lenses and so many different types of like firmware connecting those cameras to the Android software to make this work. Like you, a developer just doesn't want to start with the end of the headache. <laughs> they want to start with uh, the the beginning proof of concept. So it's it's it, you know it's well, if you're not a tech nerd, you probably won't like it. But like the elegance with which they kind of figured out the way to do this without a huge resource hit to the phone is is really cool. Um, yeah, and I, I think what what else is is great, uh, just kind of putting a positive spin on this, is that. You know, the fact that Android users are kind of accustomed to getting apps the same day as iOS now speaks to how far Android has come as a platform. Definitely. People were really taken aback that this was an iOS-only release. Like, that never happens anymore. And I think that's fantastic. I think that uh, so many developers have put in effort. They've found great Java developers who have mastered Android and are making great apps. For example, the CBC just released a brand new app this week on Android, and it's fantastic. Globe Mail, I don't know why I'm naming news organizations, but that's just what's coming to mind. Globe Mail released a great Android app for tablets a couple of weeks ago. So uh, there are also other fantastic apps that I can't think of. Yeah. Uh, do you guys have anything else? Oh, sorry, go ahead. I just want to give some shout-outs to the, to the Surfcast listeners and commenters uh, who have, you know, extended the the post for these podcasts into, like, some really cool and fun uh, conversations. So, like, shout out uh, Jeff Rassard. This This is your prize being mentioned on the podcast, so that's what you get. Um, uh, shout out to Aaron Hoyland for reminding us once again that the audio sucks. My bad last week should be really better this this week. Uh, if not, we're going to hear about it. Um, shout out to uh, 
me, M-H-E-E, who has requested that Jane review the BlackBerry Passport, oh, which I think I she thought I would do. I thought I would get away with not getting one shitty assignment this uh, week. And then shout out to Just Incredible, Quantos, and uh, hi there there, <laughs> just for reasons. We, uh, we also, Daniel and I last night, uh, Daniel hosted an amazing panel uh, on Google Glass last night at um, Toronto's Wearables event. But we also met a couple of readers there, and they were big fans of the podcast, they said. Yeah, um, yeah Monty and, and Alex. And Thank you so much for coming, guys. It really Yeah, it was awesome. Us. And I also got a cupcake, because Alex is like the starter, the founder of uh, Cupcake Wednesday. So he gave me cupcake, which I threatened to eat on the podcast, but elected not to do. <laughs> Have you eaten it yet? I did. I, I actually ate it right before the podcast. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Um, that's too bad. I'm sure it was delicious. It was lovely. Yeah. You can expect a full review coming next week yeah. on uh, cupcakesyrup.com. Yeah. <laughs> Syrup cup? But yeah. yeah, thanks everyone for listening because it's, uh, it's a really fun podcast to do and we wouldn't, we wouldn't be doing it if you guys didn't also love it. So, Yay. Right. so uh, that is Syrupcast episode 10, everybody. Thank you so, so much for tuning in and... Uh, we are going to be away next week. Thursday, I'm going to be in uh, Chicago for the Motorola launch. If we do have time during the day, we're going to try to schedule a shorter podcast from, uh, from uh, Chicago slash Toronto, and uh, hopefully it works out. But if not, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Me and Doug are going to go rogue and do the podcast without you. Oh, we will or do it for the Wednesday pod. night. We're going to do or, it. Or you could do it. For the pod, um, sans Daniel. Uh, so that is uh, this week. We will uh, we will talk to you very soon. Thanks so much for tuning in. Safe Labor Day. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.